This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Immigration was an issue that President Trump ran on during the election. He's continued to make it an important topic in his first year in office, especially in the wake of his moves surrounding DACA. And with that time frame to redo DACA drawing to a close, as well as other aspects of immigration, it may be the most important issue on the plates of people in Congress right now. To discuss how this moves ahead, we are joined on the phone by Sarah Paoletti, who's director of the Transnational Legal Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania, and also by Cyrus Meda, who is an immigration lawyer uh, and also with the partner, uh, I should say, with the firm Cyrus Meda and Partners. Great to have you with us, Sarah. Thank you. Cyrus as well. Great to have you back with us today. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you both. I, there are so many pieces to discuss here. I guess let, let's start with DACA, which seems obviously to be the most pressing issue. Uh, Sarah, how do you see this playing out? Because as I mentioned, the time is is running short right now. Time is running short. And I think what we're seeing now is that as we get closer to sort of a deadline, more and more people are, are trying to make uh, political negotiations out of this. And so there is a real push with the continuing resolution at the end of end of last year to have a clean DACA, and there continues to be a push to have a clean DACA bill. Uh, but the president has gone back and forth and seems to now be saying that he will only have DACA with funding for a border wall. Uh, and that's a, a political non-starter for many. So we'll, we'll see, unfortunately, the lives of these students uh, and and young people who are entering into our workforce has become... Uh, bargaining chip on the political arena. Cyrus? It's it's really unfortunate, and I agree with Sarah, that uh, the lives of young people have become a bargaining chip, and that should not be the case. We need to have a clean uh, DACA bill, and um, that would be the right thing to do. And in addition to the wall, there are other uh, poison pills, like doing away with uh, so-called chain migration, um, as well as the green card lottery. Um, now, just because there have been uh, a couple of incidents um, pertaining to terrorism, nobody doubts that, and these people came from these two programs, that doesn't mean that these immigration programs are linked to terrorism. Um, these are uh, programs that have given opportunities for people to immigrate to the United States, either to unify with their families or to get a chance to fulfill the American dream. And... Uh, uh, they should not be bargaining chips uh, for these uh, DACA youths who are talented and who are contributing to the United States. Well, the the issue of, quote-unquote, immigration reform, uh, Cyrus, is one that's been discussed now for quite some time. If you're looking at this as a whole, what is there a, a, a way to be able to correct all of these issues in your mind? What, what do you think needs to be done? Sure. Absolutely. Our immigration system is broken. It needs an update. And DACA is an important component, but it's not the only component. Uh, What we need are uh, better, more realistic pathways to uh, come here legally uh, into the United States. And if those pathways are created, then there would be less scope for illegal 
um, immigration. Uh, so we need to kind of reform um, the immigration system to create more visa numbers so that people waiting in the uh, employment-based green card backlogs can get their green cards. These people have been sponsored by um, employers. Uh, they're mainly born in India and China, but because of the per-country limits, these folks are stuck in uh, uh, decade-long uh, backlogs for the green cards. It's a completely ridiculous situation. So that, that needs fixing. Uh, we need to also uh, um, attract uh, people who want to form startups, uh, such as entrepreneurs. Right. And we want to also kind of have pathways to unify families. It doesn't make sense to have an adult child born in Mexico once coming legally to wait for 20-plus years to unite with uh, parents or citizens in this country. Sarah, what would you like to see done? Well, so I think right, the, the notion that chain migration needs to end really is a, a dramatic shift from our prior immigration policy, our history of immigration in this country. And what you see is you have greater, greater integration into communities where you have support networks, and those support networks often are families, right? The family is the base, and from there you develop the community networks and are able to integrate and really become a meaningful part of, uh, of society. And, uh, and instead what we're seeing is these more, uh, these policies that are restrictionist, isolationist, uh, and and really marginalizing populations. And when you marginalize and disenfranchise populations, that's when you see, right, the terrorism. And so if you look at the terrorism attacks in this country, the percentage of terrorism attacks committed by immigrants versus citizens, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a proportionate, right? It's, it's not a disproportionate share among the immigrant population. And mm-hmm. if we look at the root causes, of the move towards homegrown terrorism, it has to do with disenfranchisement and marginalization of those populations. And so it's really important that we think about this holistically in terms of what kind of communities we want to live in. Well, and when you when you go inside of it, and you both have kind of touched on a couple of things I wanted to bring uh, bring up to begin with, uh, Cyrus, the from the business community aspect, there are so many businesses that benefit from having these people come in and, and work in various sectors uh, here in the United States, and they obviously are working hard and, and trying to make a living, and a lot of people are wondering why there isn't a, you know, an easier path for them to be able to gain U.S. citizenship. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's this notion that we need to only attract uh, the best and the brightest and the most highly skilled, but that's not been the tradition of immigration in the United States. Uh, the United States, since its inception, has admitted people from all uh, backgrounds. You don't need to be a rocket scientist or a STEM graduate who's uh, going to get a Nobel Prize in order to benefit the U.S. Even, even family members, as Sarah mentioned, who provide the support can also contribute to businesses. Uh, you've had uh, children of uh, refugees who've uh, come to the United States and founded great companies like Google. Uh, so, so generally speaking, we, 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 need, we need immigrants who want to uh, work hard. And it, it's not necessarily the case, as uh, some are making it out in the RAISE Act. This is the, one of the immigration proposals that uh, President Trump has supported and initiated by Senator Cotton. The RAISE Act will exclude almost everyone. Uh, uh, most people, uh, even you and I, um, at least I, won't be able to qualify under the RAISE Act uh, mm-hmm. if I were to apply for it today. So uh, to have this kind of uh, 
restrictive immigration policy that only uh, brings in a narrow slice of the best and the brightest yeah. will not work for America. Well, Sarah, I want you to address that. And, and as well, working here at the University of Pennsylvania, the impact, and we've talked about this before, uh, the impact on universities and some of the students that would be coming from other parts of the world to come here to the University of Pennsylvania or you know any of the thousands of, uh, of universities across the United States and the impact that would be felt there. The impact is huge, uh, and the universities have been have been speaking out some more vocally than others. But the universities really do recognize on a multitude of levels, right? So there's who are the students they're going to attract as undergraduates and graduate students, and are we going to be able to get foreign students? And I'll just say, in the professional schools, and particularly someplace like the law school, um, it's the LLM students, it's the students who come from other countries who pay full freight, right? And so many, right. many law schools actually rely on their foreign student population. Um, and so there's, there's this sort of budget, budget issue, and fewer students are going to come because they're not going to see that there's an opportunity for them upon graduation uh, to stay in the country, even short term. Um, and it's a hostile environment, right? If we're creating a hostile environment, even if they have no intent or desire to stay long term, they're going to go to a country where they are more welcome, where it's easier to come, um, and where it's easier for their families to right. actually come for graduation, to visit them, right. or to see them graduate, right? Um, and so there's, there's that impact at the student level. There's also the impact at the research level and the, and the research and innovation that comes out of universities. So much of that is, is bolstered, is increased, is the sort of dynamism of that really comes from these international collaborations that begin with studies, residencies, fellowships, um, postdoctoral programs, right, whatever it is that bring in international um, folks from across the world to really help build international collaborations that continue as international cross-border collaborations that are so important to to innovation, not just in the United States, but globally. We are joined by Sarah Paoletti of the University of Pennsylvania, Cyrus Mehta, uh, immigration lawyer. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, and we can bring it up the show that way, at bizradio111, B-I-Z, Radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Cyrus, I I don't think there's much doubt that uh, a lot of people that that follow this issue right now also realize that Congress needs to act on this immediately for a variety of different reasons. But one of them that maybe it doesn't necessarily link to the actual people involved in these cases themselves, but Congress needs to get this done because this will be a huge issue brought up in the midterm elections this year. Absolutely. And I think uh, what we're seeing and following up on Sarah's thoughts is that uh, the Trump administration has um, tried to destabilize the immigration system, even though they've not been able to get any measures passed through Congress since uh, President Trump took uh, office. They've, uh, They've been using their executive authority to destabilize the immigration system. Uh, so, for example, starting with the travel bans, uh, that would impact uh, uh, students coming to study also. So if you're a national of Iran, uh, you're, you're basically banned from getting a student visa or a exchange visa from coming to the U.S. Uh, to the um, most recent attacks on um, the H-1B visa program, so those already in the United States who are applying for 
H-1 visas. Uh, it's now getting harder and harder to win an H-1B visa when it was quite routine. Even if you're working in artificial intelligence and big data and graduated from uh, Stanford with an MBA, there was an op-ed in the New York Times by somebody who got rejected with those uh, educational credentials. Uh, so to kind of deny the H-1B visa to such people also sends a bad message uh, to um, people who want to come to the United States to study. And even if it's short-term or long-term, it, it basically is a big disincentive. And, and this kind of uh, constant uh, destabilization of the immigration system is um, actually uh, creating that impact. So in terms of um, what Congress should be doing, uh, it's, it's very clear that we need to have a rational immigration system that can counter these type of uh, attacks by um, uh, the presidential administration at this point of time. And uh, it, it could become an issue in the midterm elections. Now, Trump made it an issue in, in his yeah. presidential elections. But if, if there's full uh, employment, <coughs> you don't have unemployment, um, the markets are doing well, the economy is uh, roaring, and employers are crying out for uh, more uh, workers, then um, the only case that can be made by those who want to restrict immigration is that xenophobia is good for the United States. Right. Or the fact that uh, the United States should uh, uh, remain a white country, uh, so to speak. Uh, you know, that's the subtle uh, subtext behind these attacks on immigration today. Uh, even though uh, there was a Buy American, Hire American executive order, it's being used to destabilize the immigration system in a way that doesn't really protect U.S. jobs. So, by for example, uh, uh, the latest uh, proposal is to no longer extend uh, uh, H-1B visas for those who have already been in the United States long term and are waiting for their green cards to come through. That doesn't make sense. It's a no-win situation for the United States. It's a no-win for these H-1B uh, workers who are dreaming to get green cards and to uh, uh, do well and to do much better in the United States. Uh, so, therefore, uh, Congress has to get into the act, and the narrative in the, in the midterm elections is what kind of nation do we want to be? Uh, America has always been a welcoming nation, and uh, um, I'm, I'm hoping that this time around, the immigration issues, uh, from the way I'm presenting them, will resonate better than the way uh, President Trump presented them in, in the 2016 election. Sarah? I agree. And and the other piece that we haven't mentioned, uh, which is, is also part of this puzzle, is what's going to happen to all the individuals who have had temporary protected status who are now losing it. So we've, right. we've just yep. seen termination of temporary protected status for Haitians uh, and for Nicaraguans who've had it for a long time, who are fully a member of our society, um, who've had children, who are homeowners, who are contributors in the in the workforce. Uh, and really a vital part of our communities. And now we're looking at, at what's going to happen with the Salvadoran TPS program. Uh, and so this is something people who, who came, who there was a recognition of humanitarian crisis. It would not be, be right and just and humane to send them back into that situation. In, in many ways, those situations, particularly looking at Haiti and looking at El Salvador, those situations still exist. 
Um, the underlying reasons why we gave temporary protected status still exist. Yeah. Uh, but we do need to look at those programs and see how can we turn those programs into something that really provides long-term stability, not just for the individual migrants who, who are, right, who do have rights despite, despite the presentation uh, that, that we hear in the, in the rhetoric, um, but, but these are individuals who do have rights uh, and these are individuals who are a part of our community and we need to figure out to sort of where they fit in this puzzle. Your comments again, welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Cyrus, I think for for many people in the United States, when they're talking about uh, the Dreamers, I, I think a lot of uh, people wonder, uh, you know, how is it that, that you can get to a point of really putting – uh, a lot of this at the feet of people that, in many cases, were very young kids when they were brought to the United States. Uh, and now, you know, how many ever years later, they are being lumped in with this. A lot of people feel this is is an unfair way to be able to handle handle these types of issues. In terms of, uh, so they, they came in here as young people, and it's unfair because they were given the benefit or because... Well, and potentially that that will be taken away from them. Yes, absolutely. It is it is unfair. And what what's 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 interesting is that uh, most people, if you if you look at the polls, they support uh, dreamers. Um, you know, they're, they're very popular. This is the most vulnerable uh, group. Uh, so it really makes no sense to take away uh, the benefits, especially because they were given the administrative benefits mm. uh, under the Obama administration, and now to kind of. Uh, pull the rug under their feet and to use them as bargaining chips uh, um, doesn't doesn't make sense and it doesn't resonate uh, well because they are popular. And, you know, uh, uh, the Trump admin, uh, administration has tried to kind of link uh, uh, undocumented immigrants to criminals, to terrorism, and uh, there may be a few examples where uh, uh, crimes have been committed, but by and large... Uh, the undocumented population. I'm now going beyond the Dreamers and DACA, but uh, there are 12 million people uh, undocumented here beyond the, beyond the Dreamers, the parents of Dreamers and other people who've been living here and who've been paying taxes and hoping for some kind of legalization. Um, these, these people are also contributing to the United States and to uh, have a program, a mass deportation program, uh, would cost trillions of dollars it really wouldn't help uh, the United States. It's much better to assimilate and integrate them and to provide a pathway to legalization. And if we do have reform in Congress, we want to ensure that even uh, future people uh, come in legally. Uh, That would be an ideal um, immigration system um, that would be realistic and that would meet the needs of the the 21st century. The employers want people to work on farms or in factories. There should be a legalized way to do that. Similarly, for skilled people at the higher uh, end of the food chain, we need to attract entrepreneurs. We need to bring in students. That's the kind of immigration system that we want to see that would uh, basically benefit America and, uh, and make it great. Sarah? Yes, I think this is a situation where values, basic values and, and human rights are completely in line with our national security interests, right? It doesn't make sense to push people underground. Um, if you want to protect our security of our communities, as, as the local police and all the sanctuary communities are saying, 
right? In the cities that are referring to themselves as sanctuary cities where they're refusing to turn people over to ICE, they're right. doing so because they recognize the importance of people feeling safe in coming out and communicating with law enforcement, the importance of people feeling safe in going to the hospital when they're sick, right, right. As, a, as a matter of public health. So so to to push people further underground and make people afraid is not in our in our interests as a country and and to treat people as though they're not people and as uh-huh. though they're criminals denying them due process rights and denying sort of basic human rights as part of that again is not in our in our interests and and so i think finding pathways to to recognize the individuals who are part of our community that the people who are who are citizens by any other name except in law um, as part of our as a valuable part of our society and how do we increase that in a way that's safe if we crack down on immigration in the way that's being proposed we are still going to have undocumented immigrants, right? Sure. Yeah. There, is, yeah. there is, if you look at the Trump administration, not the, the Trump businesses, I would be be very surprised if there is not a single building that was built under the Trump name that did not use undocumented workers somewhere along that along that way, right? Um, we we rely on those workers at all levels of our sure. of our work economy, um, and and employers are going to continue to demand the labor of immigrants, whether they're here lawfully or not. And and I don't think there's even an expectation. And I guess, Sarah, the number is, what, somewhere around 11 million in terms of uh, people that are undocumented here in in the United States, whatever that number is right now. Uh, I I mean, the expectation, as you just said, is that that number is not going to mysteriously just go to zero anytime in, in the next few decades. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And when you start interfering with people's with with people's lives, right? It, it's one of, immigration is one of those issues that until it touches them, they don't truly appreciate the impact of of restrictionist immigration policies. Uh, and so suddenly it will become your nanny, or it will become the person yeah. who has sort of taken your plumber. It'll be, you know, whoever it is, your classmate, your the person that's been sitting next to you at church every day. Um, whoever that person is, right, it'll suddenly come home to people. When you have 11 million people, you'll realize, right, once that enforcement action hits home, the inhumanity of some of these policies that are being proposed. Cyrus? Um, I agree. And I believe that these people shouldn't remain undocumented in perpetuity. Uh, Congress can do something to regularize their status. You don't need to give them green cards and citizenship uh, right away, but they can be on some pathway where they can pay uh, taxes and learn English and, uh, um, you know, so there, there are those proposals that have been uh, uh, issued in previous uh, administrations and in previous Congresses, and those should uh, uh, be uh, reconsidered uh, because to have undocumented people, we know that they're essential, but at the same time, there's no need to keep them undocumented in perpetuity because uh, uh, as, as Sarah said, it's, it's in our national interest. It's not an act of charity. Um, we want to kind of integrate them. We want to also make sure that they become productive citizens. They pay their taxes. They're anyway paying their taxes, even though they're undocumented. Uh, but, but once they get regularized, you'll see far more dynamism uh, and more confidence. They'll buy homes, and, uh, um, and, and they'll feel more secure, especially those who've been here for decades. And they, there's, there's no need to keep them... Uh, undocumented. We need to have Congress do something 
for them, as well as to reform the immigration system as a right. whole. Great having you both with us again. Thank you, Cyrus. Thank you, Sarah. All the best. Thank you, Dan. Thank you very much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.